welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. Tonight I want to talk about how we move from saving faith to sanctifying faith. And there's a big difference between these two. Because to become a mature Christian in the faith, you need to be able to disciple others. That's part of your journey. And this new stage that I've just been talking about that a lot of us are asking for, it's available to all. It's not just based on your age or when you got saved even. All it takes is your commitment to furthering your um, journey of faith. It's saying, hey God, I'm gonna partner with you on this journey of sanctification. And it's gonna take work, but everything that's worth having does. You know, there's stages in our life and our natural life and some of them we choose and some of them we don't. And it's the same in our journey of faith. It mirrors each other a lot of the time. We don't come to the altar, unfortunately, and get saved and bam, here I am like Jesus. You know, I walk out and I feel like a different person. A lot of the time a transformation has happened, but we're not exactly at the point of Jesus with the skin on just yet. So where do you want to be? That's what I want to know tonight. I'm not talking about in your career, your marriage, your finances, all those things which are important, but I'm saying spiritually, where do you want to end up? And you must ask yourself this question very regularly. It's so important. Are you content with that five minute version devotion to feed you? Are you content with coming to church and hearing a sermon and that feeds you for a week? Are you focused so much on your gifts? I've got to serve each week and I'm going to get to that pulpit one day. Is that where you're at? Don't laugh, it's happened. We've all done these things. These are what Christians do because we think it's gonna get us to spiritual maturity. None of these things are bad in themselves, but I tell you what, they're not the same as the process of sanctification, what Christ wants to do on the inside of you. So now I want us to go from, hey, look, God save me. But now I want us to be, hey, how can I be more like Him? How can I use the faith I've been given in the best possible way and be a living, breathing example of Jesus Christ walking here on the earth today? You know, I was thinking about it this week. There's situations in our lives that shake us out of apathy. And as as I've said this, you've probably thought of ones that have. Big things that happen and you think, that's just woken me up. One of them can be parenting. It's a situation, am I right? (laughs) At times, children will challenge you in many ways. And I found as a believing parent, it's even harder because these little people also want answers to their theological questions. And sometimes you think it's gonna be easy. Now, Alba, my firstborn, she is very sweet. She accepts what I say. She's kind and she says, of course I'll pray, Mama. Everything I say is right and it's good. The other one, Kiva, he questions everything. Doesn't believe just because I said it that it's true. And reading the Bible with him is a challenge. We read about the disciples, how Jesus said, go out and find the fish and you'll find a coin in its mouth and grab it, it's yours. And I said to him, wow, you know, aren't you gonna be amazed at this miracle that Jesus did? He said, no, that fish found that coin in the ocean and scooped it up itself. (laughs) So I was like, okay, so he doesn't believe in the supernatural just yet, but we'll get there. Last week on the way to church, he was challenging me on the story of Jesus on the cross. He said, why did Jesus have to die? And I said, because He wanted to save us. And I thought an analogy with superheroes would be a great one. You know, I slid across, superheroes want to save people, right? That's what Jesus wanted. But superheroes didn't die, Mum. So Jesus didn't need to die. And I'm very sad that He did this. And my heart sank. I thought, why? Why do you have to be like this child? Why can't you make it easy and say, wow, that's the Jesus I know? 
But you see, he's challenged my thinking. He's shaken me out of an apathy of pat answers that this is what the Bible says. This is what mummy believes. And instead I've thought of new ways of saying things. I've prayed for him. I've discovered that I'm gonna go on a journey with this child, that he's going to question me every time and that's okay. But I have to be content with sometimes not knowing the answers and not being able to make him believe what I believe also, which is good. So all this to say, I've had to pray more, think more and study for answers on this journey. And just like a spiritual journey, the natural journey in parenting, it lines up very well, I think. What cut it with Alba definitely doesn't with Kiva. And I have to change tactics sometimes. And as believers, we, we must do this also. If something's not working, Pastor Kaz spoke about, if you're not seeing the fruit in your life, where's that root from? Have you dealt with the root of it? If you don't have friends, why is that? If you're unkind, if you're always bitter about things, where has that come from? Have you got something that you need to reassess and deal with? Now, you know, as believers, you'll hear this a lot. We have a come as you are theology. We want people to come through those doors as they are and feel completely at home and comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with that for others, for us to look out and have that for them. But for ourselves, there's something wrong with, we, with when we stay in that come as you are. Like, oh, I'm gonna stay as I am now. I'm comfortable here. There's something wrong when we're not challenging ourselves and saying, where do I need to be, Lord? You know, churches around the world are aiming to be as welcoming as possible. We get criticised for it a lot of the time, but you'll see that we want people to hang around. We want them you know, to enjoy the coffee, wear what you like. You know, it's this, people say seeker friendly. None of that is wrong. But unlike a cafe or a restaurant or even a theatre experience, something needs to happen when you encounter the divine. It's not just about what's going on and what I can see. Because when you meet Jesus, a change should be happening on the inside. I shouldn't be comfortable with that change all the time. I should be challenged by it. Just as I am as a parent, I wanna be challenged by my spiritual journey with my father. You know, in Exodus, the people knew when Moses spent time with God because his face literally shone. It was so bright, they covered it with a veil. Can you imagine that if that happened? You're like, whoa, someone's in church. You're like, turn away. I can't even look at you. That's what was happening for Moses. That's how close he got to be with the Lord. The relationship was evident for other people to see. And I love our church. I believe we welcome well. I remember entering these doors a long time ago and coming from another church, I felt at home. I felt like people wanted me here, which is what you want, isn't it? You want to feel like, hey, someone wants me here. I think this is a place for everyone. I really do. But our challenge for ourselves is not to get too comfortable, even though it becomes our home, just like in your own home. If you become too comfortable, if you don't do the dishes... <laughs> You don't do the washing, you're living in a pigsty. If you act like someone else is going to do it for you, you're gonna learn very quickly that never happens, does it mums? Nope. So our challenge is not to get too comfortable, not to stay as we are, not to accept, hey, this is the way I've always been. So that's the way it's always going to be. To come together every Sunday, we should be challenged by the Word that's preached. We should be willing to change. We should be welcoming that change, saying, hey, give it to me straight. I don't want this fluff anymore. I want you to tell me what needs to happen in my life so I can go on this sanctification journey every week, in and out, day in. Because there's a big difference between saving faith and sanctifying faith. A saved Christian, they believe that they have deliverance from sin, am I right? And it's consequences. And they know that that comes about by faith in Christ. That's where we start out. I believe in Jesus. I know He saved me from my sins. And most of us in this room tonight will believe that. That's where we start. 
and it's the meaning of salvation. But you see, sanctifying faith is a believer that's set apart and it's set apart for its use, intended by its designer. We get set apart by God for the use that He had for us at the beginning of time. It's the believer that says, hey God, I want to be like you, holy as you are holy. Using your Holy Spirit, would you come on the inside? Would you clean house? Would you eliminate the areas of sin in my life? And would you add those virtues that I need? That's what a sanctifying believer is doing. That's what sanctifying faith does. You know, a sanctified believer, we've talked about this a lot, is called to supplement their faith. It's not just a taking away. It's not just saying, hey, God, take this sin, take that. It's also adding to. So if I say, I want, Lord, I've got a critical spirit. I'm constantly critical of people. And I ask Him to take it from me. But in turn, I need to add back, don't I? I need to ask Him to add an encouraging one, one that sees the best in people, one that isn't just silent when I see the good, but I'm able to speak the good too. So can I encourage you, if you're working on your sin, also work on what you need to supplement it with. Work on those virtues because you know what? It becomes easier to get rid of sin when you replace it with the good. You're not just taking away the bad and you're feeling guilty about it all the time, but you're supplementing, you're adding and you're feeling better as you do it. You know, faith is represented in the Scriptures as many things, looking, touching, talking. None of these things you do gradually. So what I mean was, we either look or we don't look. We touch or we don't touch. There's no in-between. Because faith is like a gift and it's offered. So we either take it or we don't. That's how basic it is. Faith is the hand that receives what God offers. So in this process of sanctification, God is going to offer you things along the way. He's going to say, hey, I'll exchange your critical spirit for an encouraging one. But you have to reach out and actually take it. You have to see it first and then take hold of it. It's no good saying, well, where did I go wrong? I didn't know this. Open your eyes and receive what God has for you. If you're truly committed to this journey, that's what it's going to take. So how do we go through this process? And I've mentioned our stages in life and I wanna talk about a couple of mine. So obviously a lot of us women go from single, married to mother. And those three transitions are big ones, I think for all of us. And men do the same when they get married and have kids, I assume. Can't speak on behalf of you guys, but I just will. Just imagine you're all female for a minute. (laughs) Excuse me. When I was single, I only looked out for myself. I'll be honest. I had to ensure that I was fed, that I was clothed and I was entertained. You know, when you're a young adult and you have to be entertained on the weekends, weekends are purely for that, for entertainment, to make sure that you're with your friends, you're doing things that are fun. And you know what? At the time, I probably thought that was hard to do. Looking back, I thought, I only had to look after me. How hard can it be? But when you're in the stage, of course, there's challenges in that phase, isn't there? And you think, oh, this is hard or that's hard or I need to work on that. Then I got married and it was no longer just about me. I had to look across at the person I'd married and look after him too. Now he was an adult, so obviously I don't have to do everything for him, like feeding and clothing (laughs) most of the time. I don't. He's pretty independent, that one. But there are needs to be met. There's a practice that goes about to make a successful marriage. Am I right? And people say the first year is the hardest. And when I look back, I think it was tough because you're learning the rhythms of the other person. You're trying to discover what makes them tick and what ticks me off (laughs) in turn. You know, you're journeying with this person and a lot of sacrifice is needed to make it work. But when I look back, I was like, oh, how hard was that? It was just the two of us. We're in a bubble. But yet when you're in it, it can be difficult. But becoming a mother, well, that's a whole nother level. 
of commitment because now I'm not just looking across at someone. I'm not just saying, hey, I need to fill the needs or fill the gaps, but otherwise he can take care of himself. I'm looking down at this person, this little one who can't fill needs for themselves. They cannot feed themselves, clothe themselves, bath themselves. I'm literally filling every need right now. And not only am I doing the physical needs, but I'm focusing on their spiritual ones. As a believer, I want them to be inspired by faith. I want to correct them when they're wrong and turn them back. I've got all these things running around in my mind and suddenly my life is not my own anymore. And that's the position we're in. And our journey in Christ is very similar. So to mirror it, when you get saved, it's all about you as a Christian for a little while. You're basking in this whole, I've just been saved. Look at what Jesus is doing in my life. And you rely on your church to feed you. You come here each week and you're relying on someone to say something. Yeah, I got that. I'm gonna put that into practice or whatever it is. And it's a good time, but it can be hard because you're making changes. But you suddenly might discover, hey, I can read the Word and pray for myself. And you enter this next stage where you begin to feed yourself. You begin to delve into the Word and see the promises God has just for you. And He starts speaking and changing And the next stage you also build in your faith, you might look across and you look and you find believers that help mentor you. You start to copy behaviours. We don't like to say this in church, but we do it all the time. Let's be honest. We copy behaviours, the way people speak, the way they act, the way they dress even. And sometimes even their giftings. Well, maybe I'm called to be that too because they're called for that. We can go on that journey. But then we get to the point, and I love this one, when we continue to grow and discover that to truly become like Christ, is to use Him as our ultimate example. It's no longer looking across, it's no longer copying behaviours, but looking up. And we say, God, what do I need to do to get to where I need to be? And we start to trust Him on a sanctification process. And that means trusting that He will use you for His intended design. That you don't have to be worried about these giftings and why the church doesn't use you or why you're not on roster or why that person is better than you at this or that or the other. Rather, you're trusting that God will use you in His time for His purpose. And then you can take on that challenge of pastoring, mentoring. That's our ultimate guide, isn't it? To be ready in the faith and helping others. That while we're not perfect, this side of eternity, we're not going to be. We're becoming more and more like Christ each day as we fully commit to the process of sanctification. Now, sanctification is an old word, but it's an important one. It hasn't lost any of its meaning or power. And I encourage you to look it up and study it and see where you're at in this process and where you want to be. Because the process means breaking down the old, but building up the new. And there's some processes you can be broken down entirely. And I know some of you know what I mean by this. And you begin again with this new foundation. And that new foundation becomes stronger and better to build on. And my condolences if it's happened to you, if you've been broken down. Some of us will have it more than once on our journey and it's very painful. It's raw. But guess what we can guarantee? That we're gonna have a better house to live in after, after He's rebuilt. Recently, we had a bathroom reno done. Used to be inspired by reno shows, no more, no more. It's not for me. Anyway, this renovation was happening and when it started, I thought, I can can do this. And suddenly the dust started, you know, filtering through my house and it was everywhere. And I thought, you know, this is annoying, a bit inconvenient, but I'll get there. Then there were tradies in and out every day. We had no privacy. One of them pretty much became my best friend. <laughs> no, he didn't. But he was there all the time, even at dinner time. And I thought, what is going on, Lord? You know, this is taking. Should have taken three weeks. Ended up being a process of three months. Okay, everything that could go wrong within that process did. Everything that could have been broken or didn't work or didn't get ordered in time happened. And it began to get very painful for me. 
probably for Bobby, but he's a lot more chilled than I am. But the four of us were sharing a smaller bathroom and we had to adapt to that process too. Anyway, when it got finished, I looked at it and I thought, I've got this new bathroom. Now this bathroom, they've knocked out a wall. It's fully accessible for Bobby in his wheelchair. Do you know what? This bathroom is now functioning as it was designed to, as what purpose built for our needs. This sanctification process that my bathroom went on, that I went on to in my journey of patience, And I look at it now and I think, was it really that bad what we went through? Because look at my beautiful new bathroom. Because now I've got the results of the process and I see why all of that had to happen first to get there. While I was on the journey, yeah, I whinged a bit, but I accepted that I was going to get something good out of this. So I wanna go through three points with you. And I think this sanctification process probably has many points to it, but these are the main ones I've been focusing on in my own life. And number one is relationship and obedience. Now, I believe these go hand in hand because I think with a good, strong relationship with God, obedience flows from that. And I think if you've got an issue with obedience and submission in your life, practice doing it with the Lord. Practice this journey of, hey God, whatever you say, I'm going to do. Because it's a hard one sometimes to do. But it's similar to that earthly relationship that I've been talking about, parent and child. Do you remember growing up? I don't know about you, but for me, it wasn't the shouting or the smacks that did you on you. It was the disappointment. You know when your parents were disappointed in you? Or when you're at school and your teacher's really disappointed in something that you did? And that was awful. But I think we need to get back to that with God, to feel that I don't want to disappoint Him. I don't want to disappoint my father because I love him too much for that. And to do that, I need to obey what he says. And I wanna move to Psalm 112.1. It says, praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. See, obedience should be delightful. It should be a good thing, something you celebrate rather than something you grudgingly do. And that's what we're hopeful with our kids, don't we? Hey, would you go to this? Yeah, I'd love to, Mum. Off I trot. That's what I'm hoping for. Right now, I'm not anywhere near there. But that's okay because I see that this is what God requires from me. If I can get my heart right, my obedience in line, and if I can take delight in obeying Him, then guess what? I'm going to be blessed because of it. As parents, we hope that kids understand that because of the relationship we have with them, the trust that they have in us, it will cause obedience, don't we? We hope that they say, okay, mum wants the best for me. That's why she wants me to do this. That's what we hope their reasoning will be. And it's the same with God, that because we love Him, because we trust Him, it results in an obedient relationship. And it's not about performing. It's not about saying and doing the right things to get out of trouble or to make sure God is not mad with me. This is about our hearts. It's about God told me to stop that behaviour because of my love for Him. I'm gonna double down, I'm gonna ask Him for help and I'm going to overcome this thing. You see, that's what sin is really, bad behaviour a lot of the time. When God tells you to stop, what do you do? You obey and you work with Him to get through it. That was my first point. Number two is know the Word of God. Now this one we talk about a lot and this is not just about reading the Word, this is knowing the Word, which are two very different things. Because to know what a designer intends for a product, you need to read the instruction manual. You need to know what its purpose is and what is required to use it. There's no good just using it and fumbling along the way. We all do that in life, but with God, He's given us something that's greater than ourselves to understand what He wants for us. He said, hey, here it is on a platter for you. All you need to do is read and take hold of it. You know, God is this designer and He's made the best creation of all time, which is us as human beings. 
and that He wants us to use this creation that He's given us, this spirit, this mind, this body, to delve into that Word and use it to grow. And the growing means we become sanctified and we model ourselves on the life of Jesus. I know what I'm saying is very simple tonight, but it's so important. You know, I went to a school that we memorised and recited whole chapters of Scripture. And as a teenager, I thought, what are we doing? You know, it took a long time, but I became quite good at memorising. And I didn't see the point at the time, but now I know this benefited me greatly because when I'm in situations, I can call upon a Scripture for guidance because I already know it. And because I know the Word, I know what lines up with it and what doesn't. I'm not Googling Scriptures. I'm not going, what what should I do here or there? I can already access what I know. And while there's grace for all of your mistakes, don't be the type of Christian that has that ignorance is bliss mentality that cruises along saying, well, I don't know. I didn't know that was wrong. I didn't know that was in the Word. Know the Word. Knowing means doing better. Am I right? Every time. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, I discovered that reading the Word wasn't enough. Having it hidden away meant I could use it whenever I needed, that I didn't need a physical Bible with me, but it was already there. And that because it was already there, it makes it a lot easier not to sin. Because as soon as I go to do something, that Word's already in my mind, it's in my spirit that you're doing something you shouldn't be right now. You know, the world calls it your conscience. I call it a Holy Spirit and He will speak if you already know the Word. You know, I believe that Jesus didn't come to the earth just to die. He didn't come just to die and save us. That was not the whole point. It's the point we focus on. But He came to live also, that His life would echo on through the generations in the Word, that we would take hold of who Jesus was, that we'd get to know Him and we'd become like Him so that people here who physically don't know Him can see us, see Him, sorry, through us. That's the importance of knowing who Jesus was and how He lived. If He was only meant to die, He would have been sent and accomplished that straight away. He lived, we think, about 33 years on the earth before He died. There's a point to those 33 years. Like every life, His had a great purpose attached to it. My third point, flee from sin. Now this reminds me of you know old school hymns and we say flee from sin and we imagine people just running away. And really that's what it is about. But it's also about turning around. It's saying, okay, I'm leaving this behind. I'm not just running away from it, but I'm leaving it behind never to go back. And this morning, Pastor Kaz spoke about how she's so thankful that God saved her from this old life. And you hear a lot of Christians saying that, that they want to leave their old life behind and they hate hearing about it when people bring it up. But for me, and for those of us who grew up in the church and we stay in church, it can often be a challenge to remember what you've been saved from. And I don't wanna diminish what God has done. So hopefully you can hear my heart here. When you grow up in a faith family, when you don't stray from it, you can get very comfortable. When you've been a Christian for a long time, you get lulled into a false sense of security. You think, how bad can I be? You know, I'm not struggling with any of the big sins. I haven't left behind that. I'm not doing this, this and this. I've been pretty good. Who was here a few weeks back when we did the little bonfire at the back? Who of you were? Pastor Claude challenged us to write things on the piece of paper. And for me, it was a challenge of writing the sins that I would like to leave behind. And as I started to write, because at first I thought, well, I don't have any big things. But as I started to write, I realised, hey, there's still things that you're dealing with. You know, the sin of pride is probably, <laughs> probably what I was struggling with right then. No, but what I'm saying is 
Doesn't matter how long you've been on this journey. Doesn't matter how long you've been saved or if you're in church. You may not have left that life behind that people are talking about, but you're living this life now. And the sins that you struggle with, others struggle with too. The Word says to be holy, just like He is holy. So whatever the journey is you're on, you're not there just yet. No one is. So this means we must put our finger on or we ask God to put our finger on areas that need to be changed and He will reveal the sins that we need to flee from. Every time, if you ask God to tell you what He needs you to change, He will do it. He's done it to me many times and sometimes I've not wanted to hear it and I've struggled with it, wrestled with it if you like. But when I submitted to it and changed, there's come freedom from that. You know, we can be fooled into thinking that no one gets it. No one gets the sin I struggle with or no one struggles like I do or it's impossible for me to change because it's always been like this or the life I'm trying to leave behind is too difficult. And you know, I think that's valid. I think it's valid to feel like that. But I also think that we need to realise that we all struggle with sin. doesn't matter what it is. It may be different types, but we're not unique in our sin. And from the beginning of time, if you read the Word, you see examples of people who struggled with different types of sins. They weren't the same, but yet they walked on a journey of sanctification with God and said, you know what? I'm not where I want to be, but one day I will be. And Jesus, if you will walk alongside me, I know you can transform me into what you meant for me. And me saying I've been a Christian all my life doesn't make any difference to that process. I'm still working it day in and day out. Now, you know what? You've never made it. You're not going to make it until you reach eternity. And instead of seeing that as, oh, you know, I'm not going to achieve what I want to achieve, see it as a challenge. See it as something that you can get as close to as possible. That's how I like to see it. Now, I want to say this is something I've been thinking about. I don't know who it's for, but there's people here. And I'm going to say, stop going back to those places. Stop going back to those people. And I don't know who this is for, but you probably know what I'm talking about. An alcoholic doesn't belong in a bar. A married person doesn't belong hanging out with a person of the opposite sex alone. A person that's struggling with lust doesn't belong watching things that they shouldn't. Maybe everyone else is doing it, but are you called to? You know what? I think we've become so seeker friendly in the church that we think it's okay to be like everybody else. That we become a Christian, but yet we're still like the world and that's okay. Because why should I sacrifice what I want to watch, do, drink, whatever it is? Why should I do that? Can I tell you that Jesus sacrificed so much more for you and all He's asking is for you to sanctify your life and to use Him in the process. It's okay if you're a little bit different. Can I say that I'm sick of this whole, we have to be like everybody else. We have to blend well. No, we don't. Because people need to see us as Christians. People need to understand that we are Jesus with the skin on in a non-creepy way. Okay, I wanna read to you as I'm closing and this is Romans 6. The whole of Romans 6 is like the sanctification process in a nutshell. All of Romans does this, but Romans 6 does it really well. It tells you how to go on this journey. And I wanna start with verse 1. It says, well, then should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? And I feel like that's sarcasm right there in the Word, which doesn't happen a lot. Because it says, of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined Him in His death? So it's literally saying here, when you go through the waters of baptism, you join Jesus in His death. And when you're raised out of those waters, you discover the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. And just a side note, if you haven't been baptised, do it. 
It's important. And just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. For those of you that have thought it's impossible to change, here is your inspiration, that it's never too late to come on the altar and make these changes, to say, God, I'm saved, but now I wanna be sanctified. Take me to the next level. I wanna move down to chapter, uh, sorry, verse 12. And it says, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to its sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God. You know, this is so important for us to realise that we become slaves to whatever we choose to serve. Now, if it's sin, we become a slave to it. But also if it's righteousness, you become a slave to that too. We're all slaves in some sense of the word. But how much better is it to be slaves to something that's positive, to something that's gonna earn you eternal rewards, for something that's also going to give you freedom? This says, if you're free from your slavery to sin, you become a slave to righteous living. This is the end of the podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 9524 5055.